The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Now the thing about time is that time isn't really real. It's just your point of view. How does it feel for you? Einstein said he could never understand it all. Planets are spinning through space. Smile upon your face. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor. I'm also the editor of Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks newsletter, and you can learn more about my newsletter as well as the excellent newsletters of my two partners, Roger Wiegand and Chen Lin, by going to miningstocks.com, Mining stocks.com. We do have some uh, low-cost trial offers for you uh, to take advantage of, those of you who are not familiar with our publications. And I would just like to highlight the uh, tremendous performance of Chen Lin, who's parlayed a $5,400 investment in January 2003 into a $1.1 million investment uh, by the end of April of this year. And Chen is sharing his expertise, his uh, his intelligence, his ability to pick stocks, and uh, he's sharing that with uh, with people now, so you can take advantage of that if you uh, uh, ask for a special low-cost subscription to what is Chen buying, what is Chen selling. If you like to trade commodities, Roger Wiegand's uh, Trader Tracks is an excellent publication as well. You get that for $49 trial for one month. And you can also call my assistant, Claudio Bossi, uh, in addition to going to the miningstocks.com. You can call Claudio at 718-457-1426, 718-457-1426, and you can order those subscriptions directly. I want to thank each of you for listening to this show. Our show is growing in popularity and is now the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel. That is true only because 
a growing number of you are listening to this show. And thanks for telling your friends as well. Uh, and for making this show financially viable, I want to thank our sponsors for the first hour of this show. Our sponsors are Barkerville Gold, American Bonanza, Merrick's Gold, Palangio Exploration, Tara Minerals, PMI Resources, Crocodile Gold, and Bayfield Ventures Corp. This week we have another real, really power-packed show. My special guest is Daniel Estulin. He's an investigative reporter who lives in Spain. Daniel is considered the premier authority on the uh, on your ultimate earthly boss, uh, known as the Bilderberg Organization, that is quietly and secretly planning your future. So you might not want to miss what Daniel has to say about the Bilderberg Organization. Immediately following Daniel, I will be talking once again to Argentine economist Adrian Salbucci. Adrian has been on this show a few times, actually twice before this season, and uh, he has told you uh, a lot of things about the ruling elite and what their plans are for, um, uh, for what their plans are for globalization and how that's playing in to your future and mine. Actually, Daniel and uh, Adrian are friends, and they both uh, have a lot in common. So I've asked uh, Adrian to come on following Daniel's comments and get his comments on what Daniel had to say. Uh, so Adrian Sabucci and Daniel Eshlin will together comprise the main core of this show, but we're also going to be talking to Frank Callahan. He's the president and CEO of Barkerville Gold. Um, and Barkerville is a sponsor of this show. We're very thankful to him for that. My partner on Jay's watch list, Mark Weaver, will be coming on to tell us about an exciting new technology company uh, that I think has the potential to provide extraordinary returns to investors, um, certainly not without risk, a speculative play, but, but very interesting, and Mark will tell us about that. In the second hour, after we speak to Salbucci and Estulin, I will have Ian Foreman. He's the geologist and president of Yale Resources with me, and this is a little penny stock, a, a company that I think has a chance also of coming up big. It's got a market cap of $5 million, but some extraordinary properties uh, in Mexico. And then to wrap up the show this week, I'm going to have Dr. Robert McHugh with me. McHugh will give his latest take on whether or not he thinks the next leg down in the equity markets is underway and whether or not he thinks we are still in for that what he's termed a cataclysmic nation-changing event. Before we get to Frank Callahan of Barkerville, I have Chen Lin with me, uh, and I have not had Chen on the show in the last couple of weeks, so I just wanted to get him back on and get an idea of what his thinking is in the market right now. Chen, welcome. Thank you, Jay. Uh, Chen, could you just give our listeners your thoughts on the markets now? Are, are, we, are we starting a major decline down here? Are you out of the market? Are you aggressively investing? What are you doing right now? Oh, yeah, I'm very cautious about the market. The market is uh, doing a roller coaster rise. Uh, fortunately, gold is doing pretty well. Gold has been rising, and the U.S. dollar has been rising. So it means a lot of gold companies that uh, operate outside the U.S., their margin just expanding. They are expanding dramatically. So, you know, I have uh, right now I have uh, some, quite some cash on the sideline, and I'm doing some selective buying a little bit, you know, mostly gold and silver stocks. And I'm kind of waiting. I see a lot of stock, good stock got hammered in the recent weeks. So I'm just looking and watching. And because some people want to sell, sell in May and walk away. So I'm certainly not here to buy, you know, where they were dumping. I want to wait till summer when they finish buying, hopefully buy some good stock at a bargain price. Uh, well, that it sounds like a, a typical Chen move, actually. Uh, you never... 
really in sync with the market. Uh, Chen, you always seem to have that knack for being able to buy things when other people don't want them and sell them when everybody wants them, and that's the key to success. I mean, it's, I'll tell you, emotionally, I'm not cut out for that. You, you uh, somehow are able to do that, and I want to give you a lot of credit for that, Chen. Um, anything in particular you like, any particular stock that you're really high on at the moment? We only have about 30 seconds here. Okay, well, the, the, the gold stock I like is the Oceana Gold and Mantanor. The silver stock I like the most is uh, uh, Golden Mineral and Alexco. So that's okay. the gold silver top. I mean, I'm, I'm picking here and there, you know, whenever there's a dip. Right, exactly. Well, thank you so much, Chen, uh, for your comments. We'll have to have you on a little longer perhaps next week and, uh, and, and pick your brains a little bit more. Thank you again for coming on. Folks, don't go away because we're going to be right back with Frank Callahan of Barkerville Gold. Um, he's going to tell us what's up with that company that is planning to go into production very shortly in British Columbia. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Frank Callahan. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the problem so that effective remedies can be prescribed. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theory to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to nearly double the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has lost nearly half its value in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit MiningStocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters. PMI Gold has just raised $7.5 million to expand drilling at four former gold mines we own in Ghana. Ghana is Africa's second largest gold producer, and with neighbors like Newmont, Anglo Gold, and Gold Fields, and a land position equal to the entire length of the Carlin Gold Belt, we're going for the gold. PMI Gold is listed in Canada and Frankfurt, and plans to list on the Australian Stock Exchange to finance development of our first mine at our Kubi Gold Project. Our plans are big and growing. Come grow with us. I am Jay Taylor, your host for Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Gold has risen from $250 to well over $1,200 since 2002. That has greatly improved gold mining profit margins and profits for gold investors. But mining stocks are very risky, so you do need to know which stocks have the best chance of success. I believe Magellan Minerals, traded Toronto under the symbol MNM, is one such company. That's why it is a top pick of my newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. Go to MagellanMinerals.com website to learn more. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard. It's just a love and ride. 
You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor. The title of my talk a few days back at the New York Hard Assets Show and uh, at the same time a talk I planned to give at the Cambridge House Show in Vancouver, uh, the title of that talk is Gold Mining Stocks, the Buy of a Lifetime. And the reason I'm so convinced of that is because we, we are in the early stages, I believe, of the sixth largest credit contraction in the last 300 years. And I say that based on the excellent work of Robert Hoy of uh, in, investor, um, institutional investors, uh, or institutional, yeah, institutional investors, so excellent newsletter out of, uh, out of Vancouver. And he's, uh, he's gone back and looked at this in each of these major credit contractions. We've seen the real price of gold rise dramatically for 15 or 20 years, and that increases the profit margins of gold mining stocks. Before Lehman Brothers went down, an ounce of gold would have purchased only 15% of the Rogers Raw Material Fund. After Lehman Brothers, it spiked up to 44%. With the good times returning here and the bounce up in the equity markets, it fell back to 35% or 30% actually, slowly rose to 35%. And now with the Greek credit deflation, it has gone up to 42%. So an ounce of gold will buy 42% of the Rogers Raw Material Fund, whereas before this credit crunch, it would have bought only 15%. And that is really good news, I think, for gold mining and for the industry as a whole. So... I am extremely bullish, and this morning, actually on BNN, I, I gave the same plug. I believe that this is the buying opportunity of a lifetime for junior gold mining shares. I'm 63 years old. I've been around this, this play for a long time. Remember the last bull market? This is much, much bigger than what we saw in the 1970s. So I'm really pleased to have one of my favorite stocks, a company that is in my newsletter, a sponsor of this show. I have Frank Callahan with me. He's the president and CEO of Barkerville Gold Mines. Frank, welcome. Well, Jay, nice to be back on your show. Uh, I'm, I understand you're over in Europe. You're telling your story to some uh, uh, some professional investors over there. Is that right? That's correct. We've actually. I'm just in London today, and earlier in the week we did that. We were in Geneva and Zurich, and we've got Frankfurt and uh, Paris in front of us before the end of the week. And uh, we're doing luncheons, and we're having anywhere from um, 25 to 40 people are actually showing up at the various luncheons that we're presentations we're putting on. Excellent. Very well attended. I should I should tell people that you're uh, tr- that you trade BGM on the Toronto Exchange BGM ZZF on the pink sheets 57.6 million shares I believe Frank somewhere around a dollar a share is that right That's correct Yeah okay. BGM big gold mine That's what, Okay <laughs> that's all what, right well we, we I know you're going to start out with a not such a big gold mine but I think about what how many ounces of production are you projecting and and when are you starting to produce Frank well, we actually we started uh, stockpiling or um, about not quite two months ago. Uh, we're going to fire the mill up. It's a 900 ton a day facility. It's capable of producing about 70,000 ounces a year at that location. We'll, we will be producing 50,000 ounces a year. Um, and we're intending to actually start the mill up. It'll be probably the middle to the end of June. It's been uh, on care and maintenance since last February. Um, and we took possession of the property actually this February. And... Um, 
we're just doing some painting and just tooling it all up as it's been on care and maintenance. Okay, so what a cash cost, Frank, if you could uh, let her, what are you estimating your cash costs will be? Um, the cash cost we've got actually for the Bonanza Ledge portion of the property, uh, the pre-feasibility states it's $510 an ounce, mm-hmm. and we're at about $800 an ounce for the underground portion at the QR mill facility. Mm-hmm. All right, so you have some exploration potential there too. Would you care to comment just briefly about that? Well, what we did is we amalgamated the assets of four different public companies all together, and that all just all completed in February of this year. And what we ended up having is we have a belt that's called the Caribou Gold Belt. It's 60 kilometers long in strike, or about 27 miles. And uh, we've actually have the whole belt ourselves. We've uh, spent 15 years accumulating uh, all of the tenure, the property tenure. And uh, I'm going to suggest it's probably in the neighborhood of about five miles wide, and as I was saying, some 27 miles long. Wow. So there's oh. lot, it's had seven former producing gold mines on the property, and one was run by Newmont Mining Corp. Um, the last mining operations was the Mosquito Creek Mine, and it closed down in 1989. All right, so there's lots to shoot at, lots of targets there, I guess. Oh, there's, there certainly is, and, and uh, the exploration potential on the property is, is just enormous. Uh, we're really quite excited about finally having put the whole land package together, and, mm-hmm. and there's just an awful lot of opportunity. Frank, do you, are you going to have to raise some more capital anytime soon? Well, we, we actually we completed the financing in February. We raised uh, $13.6 million, and we've mm-hmm. set aside $6 million of that uh, for the mine operations. The mine is all fully permitted, and as I was saying, it's up and running now. It, co- it was built by Kinross. It was their first mine. Uh, they put a capital cost of $40 million to actually build the facility, and then the previous owners to us spent another $35 million on it. We actually have no debt. Um, as I said, we raised $13.6 million. We got $4 million allocated for some exploration, and we've got another $3.5 million for an allocated working capital. We're actually in a very good cash position right so now. You're, so you're not going to need to raise any cash, any capital soon, any more soon? No, no, we're, that is definitely not in the plans at all. Um, we've been offered some money. We're, we're just going, we really don't need it right now, but um, at present, we're, we're all cashed up. Well, let's just, uh, uh, we've got another minute or two here. Let's just uh, think about this a little bit in terms of, um, you, you say 50,000 ounces? That's correct. That's the projected for each. There's two deposits. One's called Bonanza Ledge. Company, yeah. company discovered this last year. We actually, if you have a look on the company's website, we pulled the best drill hole probably reported in Canada last year. It was uh, some 277 feet, a half an ounce, of which there was a wow. 123 feet that was over an ounce. Uh, that, that portion of the property should be permitted in uh, July of this year, and at the QR where we're starting, we expect to actually do 25,000 ounces from there as well this year. So you have some pretty high grade, some pretty high grade stuff. Obviously, you're going to be feeding in that mill. Uh, your, but your cost for underground is is relatively high at eight hundred dollars. Any chance of getting that down? Well, we actually think it it is going to come down. It's it's pre feasibility study. They're very conservative numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, we've actually gone in and the drilling that was done by others before us. We've actually have a drill campaign on it. We're seeing actually some better widths and grades, um, but uh, as the report says, we have to sort of stick to the numbers that the engineers put down. We, we really do believe that they will be lower. Okay, Frank, I have to ask this question because I like to ask everybody just so people know that we're keeping it real. Mining is a high-risk endeavor. What are your biggest fears with respect to what could go wrong? Well, I, I think that the way things are going, I don't think I have to worry about the price of gold going down. Um, mm-hmm. It, it, I, that's a tough call. It's uh, you know everything's bought and paid for that we have going right now. So it's it's um, 
maybe there's not enough key man insurance on me. Okay. <laughs> well, I, you know, I know this is a tough industry, it's, uh, but we are in the best of times, as, I, as I've been saying. I think this is the uh, buying opportunity of a lifetime. That said, uh, all mining projects are different. There are risks inherent, and I want people to be aware of that. should also uh, speak to their financial planners, too. Uh, it's never a bad idea. Frank, I want to thank you again for updating us, and we'll have you on again sometime soon, I'm sure. Folks, that's all the time we have for this segment right now, but don't go away. We're going to have my partner at Jay's Watchlist, Mark Weaver, is going to come on to tell us about a very, very, very interesting technology stock, a little penny stock that uses modern GPS technology to let you know about sales in stores that you happen to be in at any given time. So don't go away. Very interesting, a little different kind of a story, but we'll be right back with Mark Weaver at the, uh, on the other side of the break. business you'll find the experts here voice america business network american bonanza gold's project located in arizona is scheduled for production in 2010 american bonanza gold announced the positive results of its recent feasibility study at its 100 percent owned copperstone gold mine the mine is estimated to produce an average of 45,000 ounces of gold annually. At the current spot gold price, this will result in an IRR of 120%. Join the gold bull market. Invest in American Bonanza Gold. Visit the website at AmericanBonanza.com for more exciting information. Don't miss this great opportunity. PMI Gold has just raised $7.5 million to expand drilling at four former gold mines we own in Ghana. Ghana is Africa's second largest gold producer, and with neighbors like Newmont, Anglo Gold, and Goldfields, and a land position equal to the entire length of the Carlin Gold Belt, we're going for the gold. PMI Gold is listed in Canada and Frankfurt, and plans to list on the Australian Stock Exchange to finance development of our first mine at our Kubi Gold Project. Our plans are big and growing. Come grow with us. Have you been acquiring physical gold, silver, and coins? Are you receiving the best price and the best service you can? Why not work with the most recommended precious metals company in the country? Resource Consultants is recommended by over 20 newsletter writers, several websites, and countless stockbrokers and financial planners. Call them now and find out how they can help you. 800-494-4149. Or visit them on the web at www.buysilvernow.com. That's 800-494-4149. They'll be waiting for your call. Parkerville Gold Mines, BGM on the TSX.V, is focused on the exploration and development of its gold projects in the historic Caribou Goldfields in British Columbia. Parkerville's mineral tenure now encompasses over 111,000 hectares, covering the 60-kilometer long by 20-kilometer wide geological belt and includes seven past-producing mines and two of Parkerville's own proposed open pit mines, currently in the permitting process. Parkerville recently announced the acquisition of the QR mine and 900-ton-per-day QR mill. Parkerville Gold began mining operations in February of 2010 and is expecting to produce 50,000 ounces in its first full year of mining. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down. You're listening.
listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me my partner at Jay's Watchlist, Mark Weaver. Uh, Mark has a very exciting story to tell us, uh, a technology story. So we're departing a little bit from the from the sort of things we normally tell you about, but uh, actually the name of my newsletter is Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. Uh, so welcome, Mark, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Oh, thanks, Jay. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, uh, let's just hear it. I'll, I'll just let you tell the story. What is going? What is the name of the company you have? Uh, it's I. What is it called? Uh, the company is called iSign Media Solutions. Yeah, right. Okay, and uh, what does the company do? Uh, largely, it, it does it does wireless uh, messaging through Bluetooth systems, mm-hmm. and that would include couponing and other types of advertising to potential customers. But its real advantage is in the data mining facility that it has. Its software has both a front end and a back end component to it. The front end is the obvious reach the customer component. The back end is re- is recording what happens. Because you're dealing with wireless, you have an opportunity then to identify who you're sending a message to. It's not spam because there's an opt-in component. The person has to say yes, they're prepared to receive it. Mm-hmm. Once that's done, you, ad- you can now identify how many people are, are opting in to the message you've sent out. Mm-hmm. Because the message is keyed to a, a particular store, you're looking at a radius, a communication radius of about 300 uh, feet or so. Mm-hmm. So you're so you're able now to identify where that person is, what's prompting them in the message to come into your store, what they're prepared to buy when they're in your store, what else they're buying in your store, because you've been able to you've been able to match the message with the potential customer, and this really gives it its significant strength. Wow, it sounds like uh, they're going to know a lot about me if I'm in a store somewhere. They're going to know. They're going to sort of figure out who this guy is, what sort of profile me, and let. Or what? Or how does this work? Well, essentially, yes. Now, to some degree, you're profiled already. <laughs> <laughs> you really are. Anytime you're in a store and making a purchase, uh, whether that's that's done by credit, etc., or whether you're you're doing this uh, in connection with loyalty cards, the software that the that, that the store will use will be able to identify what it is that you're doing and and how you're doing it. the The advantage of this particular software solution, though. Is that it? Go, it goes beyond the traditional methods. It's not nearly as expensive as the as the intuitive software that's out there, um, but but separate from that, it's it's able to get around. Like if you're if you're looking at these traditional methods, someone's going to drop something off to the mail with with you. You're going to choose whether you accept that coupon or not. Maybe when you go to the store next time, you'll forget the coupon. There's there's a, a lot of slipping mm-hmm. here in, in terms of the information and, be, and therefore being able to quantify it. All right, uh, Mark, let's let's try to figure out from an investor's point of view how does this company make money? How much can it make? Potentially, it c- it can make an absolute fortune. It's it's two partners here are IBM and AOPEN. Oh, okay. And it's just closed the deal now with with AOPEN. Both of these are, are large international 
companies that you know, that uh, dominate the market space. Uh, with AOPEN, it should be each software should be embedded in about ten thousand units that AOPEN will sell every month. Now, if if you just put a if you just put a, a few hundred dollars per unit on that, multiplied out by ten thousand, the revenue stream here is actually enormous. When you couple AOPEN with IBM, the, the the picture just balloons at that point. To be able to put a meaningful figure on it becomes becomes very difficult to do. It's the, it's it's too it's it's too good to be true. Kind of a number uh, when you start multiplying like that. Well, if if you get those players at the table uh, to open up the doors for you, these these numbers grow exponentially. Uh, Mark, tell me how many shares are out and what price is this thing selling at? Right now, this is about thirty cents a share, and you're looking at a, a public float of about thirty-five and a half million. That's well, nothing then. No, it's very it's, it's very small. We're looking at less than a less than a ten million dollar market cap almost. I guess that's it. That's it. Ten million dollars. And um, does it, do insiders own a lot of this stock, or is it? Because that's always something I like to see. Do, do we have? Does the management own a lot of stock? There's a good percentage of it there. I couldn't nail that down for you in, okay. advance, in, in advance of the interview. Um, I, I know there's a that I know this little piece of it is held by insiders. Yeah, I mean, to me, that's always important, and the reason we see it, it's maybe even more important in the mining industry than something like this, I'm not sure, but when you see management owning a lot of stock, they care a lot about dilution. Is this company going to have to raise a lot of money? No, it shouldn't. Uh, it shouldn't have to raise much money at all. It, it has done a couple of private placements over the last year, but at, at this point, having the contracts in place with AOPEN and a contract about to be signed with IBM being able to embed their products in their systems on a licensing basis should give them all the revenue they need to to do whatever they need to do. How how soon will they start having revenues? Right away. The deal with AOPEN is now done, and that will uh, give them access to uh, the North and South American market. We should but, tell our listeners, because I, I don't believe I did, what is the uh, the trading symbol and where does it trade? Trades on the Venture Exchange, and the symbol is ISD. ISD? Yes. And you don't know if it trades on the pink sheets or not? I don't believe it does. Okay, I know Americans are very concerned that it, you know, that's uh, the only way a lot of times people can buy the shares down there. And uh, so I, normally they do trade on the pinks without, without um, you know, management even knowing or asking for it. Uh, there's a secondary market. So I don't know. That's certainly a question I'd like to know an answer to. But we, uh, it sounds really interesting. It's certainly a speculation, though, isn't it, Mark? No guarantees here. Oh, there's no guarantees. A- absolutely. Uh, I, I think the plus that you've got here is you've got some really competent management be, uh, behind this company. There, there's a company named the you know, directors of the company include people like Alex Romanoff, who've got a very substantial track record with companies like Alpine Electronics and Royal Oak Marketing. He was able to take those companies over 15 years, upwards of $50 million in, in revenue. So to be able to have, have somebody like that behind this company suggests you've got some good weight here. So you have some good management. What do you think the biggest risk is for this stock? Right now, if people go out and buy this stock at $0.30. Cents. The biggest risk is the patent on their software needs to be approved, needs to be formally approved. Oh, I see. They've, yeah, they've been in this process now for, for quite some time. They're expecting the patent to be granted this year, uh, but right now the product is patent pending. And I, I believe that's, that's your biggest uh, business risk. That patent alone is a global patent. And it's probably worth twenty to thirty million dollars itself. Okay, that's. Uh, it sounds really interesting. Um, what? Uh, so, is there is there much of a float in the stock, Mark? Uh, at this point, yeah, it's a significant float. Uh, yeah. Okay. So, 
All right, so let's uh, maybe we find out what the insiders are. Maybe we can get back to our listeners uh, in the future on that one. But uh, thank you, Mark. I think this sounds really interesting. Certainly a speculation, uh, but you know the market is still working in spite of the fact that there's a lot of uh, regulations out there that are sort of trying to stop it from working. But we have companies like this, entrepreneurs. The entrepreneurial spirit is alive and well. And uh, this sounds really interesting to me, folks. Um, that's all we have time for in this segment, but don't go away. Coming up next will be Daniel Estulin. If you care at all about what the uh, powers behind the throne are planning for your future, you won't want to miss what Daniel Estulin has to say about the Bilderberg Organization. We'll be right back with Daniel Estulin. Don't go away. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Have you been acquiring physical gold, silver, and coins? Are you receiving the best price and the best service you can? Why not work with the most recommended precious metals company in the country? Resource Consultants is recommended by over 20 newsletter writers, several websites, and countless stockbrokers and financial planners. Call them now and find out how they can help you. 800-494-4149. Or visit them on the web at www.buysilvernow.com. That's 800-494-4149. They'll be waiting for your call. Barkerville Gold Mines, BGM on the TSX.V, is focused on the exploration and development of its gold projects in the historic Caribou Goldfields in British Columbia. Barkerville's mineral tenure now encompasses over 111,000 hectares, covering the 60-kilometer-long by 20-kilometer-wide geological belt and includes seven past-producing mines and two of Barkerville's own proposed open-pit mines, currently in the permitting process. Barkerville recently announced the acquisition of the QR mine and 900-ton-per-day QR mill. Parkerville Gold began mining operations in February of 2010 and is expecting to produce 50,000 ounces in its first full year of mining. I am Jay Taylor, your host for Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Gold has risen from $250 to well over $1,200 since 2002. That has greatly improved gold mining profit margins and profits for gold investors. But mining stocks are very risky, so you do need to know which stocks have the best chance of success. I believe Magellan Minerals, traded Toronto under the symbol MNM, is one such company. That's why it is a top pick of my newsletter, J. Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. Go to MagellanMinerals.com website to learn more. I am your host, Jay Taylor. I believe Columbus Silver Corp traded Toronto symbol CSC and in the United States symbol CSLVF offers a potential gain of several fold over its March 31st price of 18 cents. I say that because of its low market cap, its Mojion gold and silver property hosting a partly delineated deposit containing 18 million ounces of silver and 300,000 ounces of gold equivalent. I say that also because of a strong management team. The stock is, of course, not without risk, but in my view, the risk reward ratio is presently very favorable. Go to ColumbusSilver.com to learn more. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard. 
You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me this week as my special guest, Daniel Estulin. Daniel is the world's primary authority on the most secretive and clandestine group groups, uh, arguably, on the face of the earth, namely the Bilderberg Group. The most prominent members of the largest corporations, presidents, and kings of the world's superpowers and lesser powers join together annually in a secretive group to plot your future and mine. Davos economic forums and G8 meetings are discussed in every newspaper in the land and around the world, but never a word is permitted to be spoken about what transpires at the annual Bilderberg meetings. What are these makers and shakers of world policy up to? Is there a link between the Bilderberg Group and the Oklahoma City bombing, the American drug trade, the false accusations of Victor Bout? Is Russia and China represented in the Bilderberg Group? Is the Fed linked to this organization? Well, we won't have time, unfortunately, to get into many of those issues today because Daniel, due to some family health issues, only has a few minutes with us. But we'll have him back some other time. And what I want to do is introduce Daniel Estulin to our listeners today so that they can start to do uh, some exploration of his work on their own. So welcome, Daniel, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Thank you so much. It's wonderful to be with you. And I'm in Spain, and you're in the States. And uh, we can do this because of the wonders of uh, the world communication system. That's how people find out about Bilderberg and everything else these nasty people do or try to do to us. Well, it is amazing, and, and I think that the uh, the new age, um, the, you know, the internet, uh, internet technology is making it possible for people to learn about things they would never learn about otherwise. And uh, I would have to think that it's got to be a threat to certain uh, a certain interests, though. Well, exactly. I mean, we do with this interview, and uh, about 15 minutes later, somebody downloads it in Australia and passes it on to a friend in Japan, and before you know it, the entire world has heard our interview, and, uh, you know, here we are in the world of, uh, of, of uh, literally communications without borders. And luckily for us, we can actually do it still for now and talk about Bilderbergers before the, uh, they shut down the Internet and, uh, and preclude us from uh, getting these very interesting interviews out into the open. Well, okay, Daniel, unfortunately we, uh, we're very limited with time today, so let's cut to the chase and ask uh, you to define who the Bilderbergers are for our listening audience. Well, you know, in the world of international finance, there are those who steer the events and those who react to the events. Now, while the latter are often better known, they are greater in numbers and, and seemingly more powerful. The true power rests with the former and at the center of this global financial system of the financial oligarchy today represented by the Bilderberg Group. Now, the idea behind each and every Bilderberger meeting is to create what they themselves call the aristocracy of purpose between European and North American elites on the best ways uh, to uh, manage the planet. In other words, the, the creation of a global network of giant cartels more powerful than any nation on earth destined to control the necessities of life of the rest of humanity. Now, that said, it's also very important to state that Bilderberg isn't a secret society. There's no conspiracy, even though a lot of people, you know, with their infantile fantasies, you know, see it as such. Also, it's not a monolith. 
meaning that mm-hmm. no group of people, I don't care how powerful they are, sit around a table in a dark room holding hands, mm-hmm. staring at a crystal ball, planning the world's domination. You know, mm-hmm. it, it only works this way in, in Batman and Robin films. It mm-hmm. is a meeting of people who represent a certain ideology. Now, that ideology is not one world government, a new world order, as, again, a lot of people point out to George W. Bush's speech. It has rather to do with one world company limited. You know, it's, it's the concept of corporations, giant cartels more powerful than the governments themselves, and we can see it right now in Greece, where the International Monetary Fund and the World Bank and the you know, Federal Reserve of the United States and European Central Bank are basically telling you know, a sovereign nation state of Greece exactly what to do in, you know, in, in how to fix their country. Mm. And, of course, that's exactly what, what the uh, Bilderbergers have always planned, the idea of creating a one-world company limited. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, Daniel, I just came back from the Dominican Republic where, where I visited um, a mining company's project, the Barrick Gold and Gold Corp. Have a 30 million ounce gold deposit there. They're hiring 3,500 workers right now. And as we, as we drove towards the project, we saw signs everywhere Barrick, go home. Barrick, go home. It seems as though the people in the Dominican Republic feel very much that they're being slighted in, the fact, in spite of the fact that it's a poor country that are getting, they're getting lots and lots of jobs. So Beric is very well connected uh, in this corporate world that you speak of, I think, uh, in that uh, George Bush Sr. was, uh, was in, tied with the company, as was Mulroney. It's a very powerful organization that was involved in shorting the gold price, driving the gold price down during the 1980s, 1990s, and enhancing um, the, the dollar, making the dollar appear stronger. And, of course, we know what happened with the so-called strong dollar, the abuse of the dollar, lending money everywhere, getting people into debt. One of the other people we've had on this show, uh, John Perkins, who's written a book called Confessions of an Economic Hitman, suggests That's an that excellent book, yeah. You, so you're familiar with the book. Oh, very much, very much so, of course. And so John, John suggests that, that, that the policy of this ruling elite is to indebt people and, and, comp- and countries so thoroughly that they basically own them. Do you see it that way? Oh, absolutely. It, it has always been the idea. I mean, you know, that's what the International Monetary Fund, the World Fund, and, and the World Bank, that's what they've been at it for a very, very long time. And, you know, contrary to what most people believe, these two predatory organizations are not there to save and to help, you know, poor nations of the world get back on their feet. Just on the contrary, they're there to enslave them. They're working for a very concrete, specific, you know, powerful money cartel. Mm-hmm. And one of these corporations in this powerful cartel is the Bilderbergers, of course. Do you think that the Federal Reserve is to the American people what the IMF and World Bank is to third world countries? Well, in other words, bank. I mean, the, the, the <coughs> Federal Reserve of the United States doesn't work for the, you know, for the, uh, for the country. It works for the uh, uh, private interests. Now, you know, because, again, you see, it's, uh, you know, if you have to understand you know, how the, the, you know, the, the world monetary system works, the mm-hmm. world today is run by monetary systems, not by national credit systems. Now, if you're smart, and unfortunately not too many people in America are smart, now, you don't want a monetary system to run the world. You want sovereign nation states to have their own credit system, which is the, the system of the currency. Now, mm-hmm. that's a difference in, the, for example, one of the reasons that Europe is, is, is as in better shape as it is. See, in Europe, that can't be done because in Europe, the governments are subject to control by private banking interests called independent banking systems. Now, mm-hmm. these institutions have the power to regulate governments and, of course, to dictate terms to governments. And, of course, European banking is, uh, is a remnant of a feudal society in which private interests typified by ancient Venetian cartels or by the Lombard League, which went down in the Dark Age in the 13th century. And again, 
uh, it, it falls very much in, the, in with everything I've researched over the years that what today is called the Bilderberg Group 800 years ago already existed, and it was called the Venetian Black Nobility, the same interests, same gay plan, you know, same way of, you know, modus operandi, so nothing really has changed. Sure. Do you, do you, can you tie, um, you know, we're talking about, I believe the Bilderbergs uh, have some monarchy, some, some royalty in there. Can that royalty be tied going back further, uh, tied together, you know, linked together into uh, past ages? Well, that you know, uh, again, the, the uh, uh, Bilderbergers, we're talking about, it's an old uh, NATO alliance. You're talking about the, uh, the presidents and prime ministers of every European nation, Canada mm-hmm. and the United States, although the sitting president of the United States never can actually physically attend the conferences because every second of his time is accounted for, but he, you know, he sends his minions who, are, who are act on his behalf. And, of course, sure. the leading 50, 60 CEOs of the most powerful corporations in the Western world are there. Uh, you're talking about the European commissioners, American senators and congressmen, and needless to say, you are looking at some of the biggest media groups in the world, the New York Times, the Washington Post, and New York, uh, the, the Time magazine, Wall Street Journal, etc., which is, again, one of the reasons, you know, you don't hear a lot in the mainstream press about Bilderberg. And, uh, and you know, with them at these one big large table, you, of course, you have all the, you know, key bankers of the world and, of course, the royalty. Now, royalty is a very important element. They're not just, you know, comic relief or, you know, uh, uh, a necessary presence, you know, to attract attention. But on the contrary, the, what's, again, what I said, what today is called the Bilderberg Group, 800 years ago already existed, and it was called the Venetian Black Nobility and, and some of the most powerful people in the world actually Venetian nobles, and the most powerful uh, person in the world is the Queen Elizabeth of England, and she comes from the House of Albert Azor, which is also uh, called the House of Marquis d'Este de Venezia. And uh, so, you know, the Queen, the, the, the uh, European royalty, actually, the, all of the royal houses, you know, their lineage comes from one family, and that family is called the Frescobaldis. And if you try Googling, of course, you won't find anything at all on these people because they're so powerful and so ancient that nothing ever comes out on them. But again, they are the root of all the royal houses and lineages of European oligarchical families. So that's one of the reasons, one of the things that people don't understand about why, you know, why is royalty there? Well, they actually, they, they are the key element in, mm-hmm. the, uh, in the secret societies or private organizations, whatever you want to call them, mm-hmm. equation. Well, they certainly fly under the radar screen these days, though, don't they? And we don't see much about them, but what you're saying is they're there and they're very, very powerful. Let, let me well, ask you... Uh, go ahead, sorry. Well, I was going to say that, you know, Bilderberg, uh, you know, in itself is a lot less important right now than it was 30, 40 years ago, simply because, you know, the, the, the dinosaurs, the, you know, the, the, uh, the old-time Bilderbergers, such as Rockefeller, you know, they're dead or dying, and mm-hmm. the new, you know, breed, they're just too stupid to actually get it done properly. And, uh, you know, in itself, again, Bilderberg is... is it's a very important meeting point of, of, of different interests, but it's not the key organization. There are mm-hmm. groups more powerful than the Bilderbergers. And just, you know, as a kind of point of fact, the Bilderbergers, they were founded through the French Synarchists, which is a Martinist esoteric secret society. And the Synarchists are, of course, the group of people who are behind Hitler between 1922 and 1945. And what's more, the Synarchist movement, which is a very interesting organization, was founded as the oligarchist counterattack on the principles upon which the United States of America was founded. So it's, again, it's a very, very old fight. It, it, it's not black and white. It's not about one world you know, order, a new world government. It's, these are very simplistic ways of understanding, mm-hmm. you know, uh, very complicated dynamics of social processes, mm-hmm. you know, which kind of, you know, evolving ideas over, you know, course of history, not just, uh, you know, something that somebody tells somebody to do. It's, you know, it's, it doesn't work like that. 
You mentioned there are organizations more powerful than the uh, than the Bilderbergers. Who might they be? Well, you know, there's, uh, for example, the uh, uh, the Venetian Black Nobility, mm-hmm. or the uh, Bilderberg is the facade, the real powerful, the, the really powerful men and women, or mostly men, <laughs> are the Venetian Black Nobles. And as I said, uh, the key element in them is uh, the Queen of England, uh, Elizabeth II. Mm. Then, of course, you have organizations such as the you know, nine, nine Wise Men, which very few people know that even exist. Then, uh, for example, uh, um, Aspen Institute is a very, very powerful organization as well. Uh, Montpellier Society is another group of people very, very, you know, with very deep roots into the past. And, uh, you know, so a lot of these societies and organizations, they, you know, they're not just 50 years young. They, they come from very, very far back. Do you, do you think the Bilderbergs and some of these major organizations or uh, out of, you know, below the radar screen, these, these organizations that are so influential but we don't really see much of them, do they pick our presidents or do they eliminate those that are too far out or too far away from their, from their interest? Do they eliminate them in one way or another to keep them from being uh, voted on by the American people and by other, by other countries? Um, if, if, I guess what I'm asking, are there... Do you think they have enough power to pick presidents, I guess is a short way of well, asking. Well, not only do they think they don't have enough power, but they have been picking presidents forever. You know, and uh, it's, it's, I think it's, uh, it's, uh, it's very simple to think that, you know, a guy like Barack Obama or Bush or, or any, any president, you know, would, would be allowed uh, anywhere near the White House unless that individual was bought and paid for long before, you know, he became president. And, you know, for example, uh, Barack Obama attended Bilderberg Conference in Chantilly in 2008 when he was, Right in the middle of his, uh, you know, uh, election campaign. If you remember that incident where he suddenly disappeared, and you mm-hmm. know, the, the 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 reporters were waiting for him on a plane. He was, you know, he was just no longer there. Well, he was, uh, you know, the Bilderberg meeting in uh, in Chantilly, and uh, at that meeting, the American Bilderberg delegates told him, you know, the presidency was his to lose. You know, you kiss the right babies, you smile, you know, you say all the right platitudes, and you you're going to be the man. Mm-hmm. And they also told Hillary Clinton, who also attended, you know, to stay out of his way and. Uh, there was a lot of talk, especially at the time, you know, uh, because Hillary Clinton never really conceded, and uh, you know, a lot of her supporters thought that she was actually going to try to, you know, get get the nomination, or hijack the nomination at the Democratic National Convention. Well, the American Bilderbergers, you know, put, put an end to that. They just told her, you know, don't even think about it. And needless to say, was uh, if she had tried, the uh, American media would have somehow, you know, quote unquote, discovered or uncovered. You know the the, the role of the uh, of the Clinton in the mean in the mean of drug trade and uh, just mm-hmm. you know in the in the Winston Foster assassination and just you know goes on and on and she basically knew what was good for her and um, in the same way they killed uh, Kennedy because Kennedy had absolutely no intentions of going into the uh, into Vietnam he was actually going to pull the troops because MacArthur told him you know don't ever go into land war in Southeast Asia interesting it actually wasn't it wasn't going to do that and needless to say. You know, when you're trying to destroy the world economy and, and weaken the United States as a nation because, you know, two nations stand in the way of, of world government control, that's the United States and Russia for different reasons. And, mm. uh, you know. Oh, Daniel, we, uh, we could go on and on for hours, and I know that you have, have to get to, your, get to your family affairs. All of these things you're telling me raises numerous questions that we could branch out into different directions. Uh, into and I, I'm really thankful for you taking the time. I, we only got a couple of minutes left here, but I'd like to ask you. Uh, last week we had Ron Paul on this show, and Ron Paul's been rising in popularity among the among the grassroots, the, the little people, the common folks, the people that want to work hard, play by the rules, and make something of their lives. They don't want welfare; they want though to earn what they 
you know, what, what they work hard to, to achieve. And a, a recent Rasmussen poll had Ron Paul at 42% against 43% for Obama. The president, uh, I guess the, the question I believe was, ask the American people who they'd most like to see as the next president of the United States. Well, I had Ron on this show last week, and I mentioned to him, you know, you've written a book called The Revolution. Uh, do you ever fear for your life? And Ron said, mm, you know, well, I think I said, do you ever fear for your safety? And Ron said, well, not too much. You know, he says, I, I worry when I get in a car about accidents, the kind of things people normally worry about. But, you know, that other stuff, I'll leave it in somebody else's hands. So my quick question to you, because we have to let you get on with your family needs, but my question to you is, uh, do you think Ron should worry? Well, there was a time in 2007 when my sources in the CIA told me that, you know, there was a trial balloon raised within the CIA. You know, they play a lot of these what-if games, you know, what would happen if. Yeah. So mm-hmm. a lot of the, one of the internal meetings, you know, a question was raised, like what would happen if, you know, we kind of rubbed them off. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was on uh, on a radio show. I can't remember where, but you know, three years ago, I do about eight hundred interviews a year, so I, <laughs> I can't remember which radio show it was on. And I said, you know, there's a trial balloon raised, and uh, uh, you know, that was uh, uh, you know, I was told uh, you know to to bring it out into the open by my people in, in the Secret Service because they were, you know, they were they were afraid that somebody could actually you know uh, pull the trigger, and uh, I think that you know put an end to uh, to that what if scenario, but. Uh, you know, I, I don't think they need to really uh, uh, get rid of Ron Paul because there's just so many ways to split the vote. Mm-hmm. And also because so many people believe Gallup polls, which is just, you know, uh, uh, an organization which that doesn't, doesn't actually ask anybody anything. They just come out with numbers and people simply believe them, uh-huh. you know, because they allegedly have the credibility because they're part of the Tavistock Institute, uh, which is a psychological affair division of Bilderberg. And, uh, and uh, you know, so they just come up with numbers that Ron Paul's popularity is sinking and uh, or, or they'll bring out someone else who split Ron Paul's vote, or mm-hmm. there's just so many ways to do this, and because the other side has so much money, and they have so good at infiltrating movements and breaking them up, and that's what exactly what was done in the 1960s, when you have this, you know, real grassroots support for Martin Luther King and the, uh, and the human rights, and, uh, and they actually, you know, infiltrated and they broke it up because they were afraid that you had millions of people, you know, marching with Martin Luther King would actually, you know, put an end to the war, and so they created these outdoor festivals like Woodstock and Monterey, and and they distracted the youth, and, you know, they've been distracted ever since. You know, Very you interesting. A divergent, a divergentary tactic, I guess. Exactly. Well, you know, um, Daniel, there is so much to talk about. I really appreciate you taking the time. I know you have some family needs you need, need to get to. I would love to come back. You know, I'd uh, love to I, have I, you back. I'd love to have you back. And I'd, I'd like to have you on some time with, I think you know, Adrian uh, Salbucci. I do. He's a very good friend of mine from Argentina. We're planning uh, a tour together with South America. And... Uh, yeah, I'd be honored to do a show with him. Well, we could have the two of you on together, and we could take calls, too, if we could do it live Absolutely. sometime. But anyway, I want to thank you so much, Daniel, for coming on the show, and I look forward to getting back to you, uh, getting you back on the show very soon. So that's all the time we're going to take away from you and your family today, but we do hope to have you on soon. Folks, don't go away. We're going to come up on the commercial break here, and when we come back, we are going to have Adrian Salbucci with us again. He was with us a few weeks ago, and so those of you who know him will know why he's following Daniel. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Adrian. It's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. 
Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Merex Gold, with 800 square kilometers of contiguous permits, Merex and exploration partner IM Gold have spent $11 million on the advanced stage Surabaya Gold Project in Mali. Merex's indicated gold resource is based on 4% of the mineralized Surabaya megastructure. An aggressive 20,000 meters of drilling will begin to determine the true size of the Surabaya Gold deposit. For more information about Merex Gold, visit us on the web at www.merexgold.com. That's M-E-R-R-E-X gold.com. Coronado Resources is a Canadian-based exploration and development company trading on the TSX Venture Exchange. Its wholly owned Madison Gold Copper Project in Montana, USA has received revenue from high-grade gold and copper shipments while developing its underground workings to 250 feet below surface while limiting share dilution. Coronado is now driving the decline an additional 60 feet below the lowest workings to access the rich gold mineralization encountered from recent drilling and continue exploring the system, which is open at depth. I am Jay Taylor, your host for Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Gold has risen from $250 to well over $1,200 since 2002. That has greatly improved gold mining profit margins and profits for gold investors. But mining stocks are very risky, so you do need to know which stocks have the best chance of success. I believe Magellan Minerals, traded Toronto under the symbol MNM, is one such company. That's why it is a top pick of my newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. Go to MagellanMinerals.com website to learn more. Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the problem so that effective remedies can be prescribed. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theory to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to nearly double the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has lost nearly half its value in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit MiningStocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters. PMI Gold has just raised $7.5 million to expand drilling at four former gold mines we own in Ghana. Ghana is Africa's second largest gold producer, and with neighbors like Newmont, Anglo Gold, and Goldfields, and a land position equal to the entire length of the Carlin Gold Belt, we're going for the gold. PMI Gold is listed in Canada and Frankfurt, and plans to list on the Australian Stock Exchange to finance development of our first mine at our Kubi Gold Project. Our plans are big and growing. Come grow with us. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to. 
try too hard. It's just a lovely ride. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to the second hour of Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I want to thank our sponsors for the second hour of this show for making this show financially viable. Our sponsors for the second hour of today's show are Barkerville Gold, Magellan Minerals, Apollo Gold, Columbus Silver, Coronado Resources, Uranium Energy, Gold Rich Mining Company, and Canico Resources. Well, getting back to today's show, following on the heels of Daniel Estelin, I'm very pleased to have with me again for the third time this season, Adrian Salbucci. Mr. Salbucci is an Argentine economist, researcher, lecturer, and essayist. He has worked as an international business consultant and analyst of power structures and the political, economic, and financial globalization, and has been uh, the communications project and translator of El Traductor Radial. Uh, Adrian Sabucci is also the founder of MSRA, uh, Movimento por Argentina Second Republic, and a founding member of the Center of Economic Studies, Frigo. Well, I butchered that really bad. Anyway, Adrian's website, where you can go to learn more about him, is asalbucci, that's S-A-L-B-U-C-H-I dot com dot A-R. Welcome, Adrian. Hello. How are you, Jay? Great talking to you again. Well, it's great talking to you. I just wished I could speak just a little bit of Spanish so I wouldn't be so clumsy when I introduce you. <laughs> don't worry. Don't worry about that. But you <laughs> speak good right. English, and that, that is really something because I was really, it was really interesting to, to learn that you had actually spent a good part of your adult life here in Queens, not far from where I live, and we just really enjoyed having you over, Mrs. Taylor and I did, and having uh, dinner at our favorite uh, Italian restaurant, Barossa's, not far from here. So it's really great. Anyway, great to have you back on. Now, you were listening to, um, to Daniel. I think you listened to what Daniel had to say to, uh, to me a little while ago. Yes, absolutely. And, and I want to ask you, first of all, Daniel talked about the potential for shutting down the Internet. Do you think this is a real threat? Uh, I'm not sure that that's going to happen because the Internet has become an, uh, a key instrument for them to, cu- to carry on their operations. I mean, mm-hmm. so much commerce and so much coordination with banks and, 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 and uh, I don't know, the purchase of, of, of the, the, the widest assortment of things is yeah. now done through the Internet that I think that they would have a tough time in actually shutting it down. What they can do is they can probably uh, generate increasingly more precise technologies to shut specific sites and specific people down. So I, right. I don't so much envision the shutting down of the Internet, but, you know, very hit, that they might have electronic hitmen who will get rid of those of us that, that uh, seem to, to be of their concern. Right. We have economic hitmen now, maybe electronic hitmen. Probably. Certainly, um, uh, you know, Daniel makes a good point that the Internet is being used very, very effectively. I mean, Ron Paul's rise is, is in no small measure due to the Internet because it's, it's the little people, it's the college-age people, the younger people that are really jumping on his bandwagon. So it's, it's really a fascinating phenomenon. Um, global, the global nature of cartels, I mean, we're seeing... Uh, Daniel said something that you said very, very 
very similar to what you said. He says the uh, with respect to the uh, to, to the, um, the the group we were just the Bilderberg group that actually they are not a secret society. You would agree with that? Absolutely. I, I wrote a book where I concentrate not, not so much on Bilderberg. Actually, we try to coordinate things with Danielle so we don't, we don't overlap. I concentrated more on the Council on Foreign Relations. Mm-hmm. And what I, what I tell people here whenever I give a conference is none of these organizations, whether it be the Council on Foreign Relations, the Trilateral Commission, the Bilderbergs, or the Royal Institute of International Affairs, none of them are secret. They are discreet. And they have so much power that they can work their way around trying to appear. Well, now it's being more difficult for them. For many years, they were hardly ever in the newspapers. But mm-hmm. they are not secret societies. And if you want to visit the CFR, all you have to do is go to their address on 57th Street and Park Avenue, and they will receive you, and they will sell you books and, and, and stuff like that. And the same with the Bilderbergs. The difference being that Bilderberg is not an actual organization, mm-hmm. but rather a periodic or annual conference of powerful people coming together in different places. Mm-hmm. Well, certainly, you know, Foreign Affairs uh, monthly magazine or booklet that comes out is is pretty interesting. Actually, it has a lot of intellectual, you know, essays about world affairs, and and I get it. It comes here sometimes. They they almost give it to you for next to nothing. They want you to read it, and uh, it's quite interesting. It's from their point of view, and, and many things I don't agree with, but I do do take a look at it. Uh, One World Company Limited, Daniel talks about. Um, very interesting concept, but very much in line with John Perkins, uh, John Perkins' views that uh, he uh, that he explained on this show. So we have a what is really large corporate interests that are trying to supersede the power and the autonomy of individual nations. Is that what's going on? Well, yeah. I mean, I think what we've been seeing over the past 30 or 40 years, and it has occurred gradually at first and much more dramatically of late, is that power has been privatized. And whilst traditionally power, sovereign power, the capacity to do things and make major decisions for, 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 for countries, entire countries and entire regions, which we all used to identify with the sovereign nation state, I don't know, in the worst case scenario, uh, one country declares war on another or whatever, that capacity, that power has become privatized. And it is no longer sitting in the head of sovereign nation states, but rather in the head of uh, specific private organizations, whether it be corporations, banks, certain uh, multilateral organizations like the IMF or certain uh, similar organizations like the Fed. And normally, instead of those companies or those institutions taking decisions outright, what they do is they take a network-wide decision. So, for example, you don't actually have perhaps Goldman Sachs making a decision regarding Argentina or regarding Greece, but you do have a network that will include Goldman Sachs, the IMF, the U.S. Treasury also, which which is a public institution, obviously, the Fed, uh, various media outlets that will take a combined decision to corner Greece or to corner Argentina, or why not, even to corner the United United States. Mm-hmm. So this private power is the one that is really running the show, and they, from upstairs, will run the U.S. government, they will run the banks, they will run the IMF, and they will run the media. Mm-hmm. So we have more and more of these large corporate interests uh, taking key positions in government, too, don't we? I mean, uh, sometimes people have called Goldman Sachs government Sachs, for example, because they've been so prominent in the U.S. government recently. Well, imagine the clout that a specific bank has to have in order to be able to position their people time and again in the U.S. Treasury Department. I remember when when Hank Paulson was still uh, uh, Treasury, uh, Secretary of the Treasury on the George Bush, out of 20 
uh, colleagues that he had working with him to resolve, in quotes, the uh, financial crisis. Fifteen of them came from Goldman Sachs. Now, he goes because George Bush obviously had to go. In comes Obama, and what does he do? He names Treasury Secretary a former Goldman Sachs man. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I mean, GS obviously are above the Democratic Party, above the government system, above the Democratic uh, electoral system, and above the the, the Republican Party. Right, and we had Bob Rubin, of course, during the uh, during uh, during uh, during the Clinton administration as well. Uh, we had uh, uh, Larry Warren Summers, Summers, who was very much involved with sort of a lot of the same sort of ruling elite. I guess Rubens was from Goldman Sachs. Uh, Summers uh, was not, as I recall. But then we had O'Neill, who came in from the uh, O'Neill was a Treasury Secretary under Bush one, under um, under George W. Bush actually for a little right. while, and then he didn't get along that well. Really, his his ideas seemed to be more in line with corporate interest, uh, like the mining company interest, and maybe not the banking interest. So they went back to the banking bankers and financiers seemed to seem to have a better handle on how to how to manipulate the system. I suppose. Yeah, <clears throat> that, that, it's it's fair to say that. And the key point is that when you when you look at, for example, uh, one of what I believe is probably one of their key organizations, which is the Council on Foreign Relations, and you realize that all the major banks, many of the major corporations, all the major media outlets, whether it be the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, I don't know, the L.A. Times, uh, Chicago Tribune, and key government posts, both in the executive and in in, in Congress. Two, a very large proportion, very often a surprisingly large proportion, are people who come from the Council on Foreign Relations, either directly as, as members or as part of that uh, network of organizations that will include the CFR, the Trilateral Commission, Brookings Institution when it's mm-hmm. the Democrats in power, or the American Enterprise Institute when it's the Rep- Republicans being mm-hmm. in power. Mm-hmm. But all part of the same general cabal. As long as people don't really try to take away the monetary system, don't try to go back to gold, as long as they allow the bankers to have the power of the printing press to control the resources, the bankers and the government together so wars can be waged so that uh, this whole industrial complex can do what they want to do. That's, that's the key, right? That would seem to be the key, and, and you really set, it wrapped it up very nicely there because I think what, what you just said basically reflects that there is a model behind the entire system. So, for example, when they say we live in a democracy, whether it be in America, in Britain, in any European country, or even in Argentina, you're, we're basically living in a system that will control the political uh, rationale or the political dialogue on, on a nationwide basis. So if, if people get tired of, 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 a, of a Republican government, which is right of center, okay, they'll say, let's give four years to a democratic government, which is left of center. But mm-hmm. it's really basically the same difference as between Coca-Cola and Pepsi-Cola. And anybody who comes up and says, but wait, hold on a minute, it's the same bubbly brown drink, and they both taste basically the same. I want to have something completely different. Give me a scotch. Well, they'll say, you're an anarchist, you're a whatever. They'll start name-calling you and branding you because you're thinking outside of the system. Right. Well, that's what they've done to Ron Paul for ages, but he's... He's been uh, rising in popularity, so I think something's going on here, Adrian. I think the masses of people are starting to say, starting to see through it a bit. Do you think, or maybe maybe they don't quite understand it, but they know something isn't quite right. 
Well, I'll tell you from, from the, the perspective of the Argentinian experience, when things are, quote, normal, unquote, or basically stable, people don't tend to really break, rack their brains to try and figure out how the whole system works. Mm-hmm. But when things become abnormal, in other words, in times of crises, as happened in Argentina, as is happening now in Greece, as happens, is also happening in Iceland, and as is increasingly happening in Europe and in America, people start scratching their heads and say, well, hold on a minute, how come I'm losing my job? How come my bank closed down and my, and with, and my money was, it was stashed inside? A whole host of questions. Why is my house now in foreclosure? A whole host of questions start to arise, and that's when people who scratch their heads like you and me start to discover that there is a very subtle, discrete system behind the facade of what CNN or Fox News or the New York Times would have you believe. So in a way, times of crises do bring hardship to everybody. They've done that to Argentina, they're doing that to Greece, and they're doing that to America. That's the bad side. The good side is that instead of being, you know, just people, unthinking citizens, we all of a sudden start to think and say, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. Something is wrong here. Maybe we don't have a democracy, and maybe the people who are up in power, they shouldn't really be there. And when you start studying, how did they get there? And then you realize that they get to become presidents and governors and, and Congress people and Congress uh, men and women basically through the power of money. So you figure time and again you find the money power running the political show, running the media, running even academia, uh, the, the academic uh, paradigms of what, what, what is politically correct and what is not politically correct. So people start to identify, an increasing number of people at least, start to identify that there is a, an overstructure, which is the one calling the shots. And I think that that's very healthy, and that's, that's happening as a global phenomenon, as you and Danielle were discussing a few minutes ago, thanks to the Internet. Because, you know, otherwise we wouldn't have access to, I don't know, Fox News or CNN or the BBC, but we all have access to the Internet. And that's, that's, that, that can make the difference between mankind really finding its freedom or mankind being dumped into the depths of slavery. Well, well, I would think a precondition also, Adrian, to the right kind of appointments through the monetary system would be, uh, or, you know, by, by way of the, of the financial system, because that, you know, that is where the control is, is also uh, not opposing Keynesian economics, not opposing monetarist economics, and certainly never uh, suggesting that we should go back to a gold standard. I mean, that would be the death knell of anybody seeking uh, higher office in the U.S., would it not? Yes, yes, and, and there's, there's also here something that I think we have to be careful with because there might be, there might, I'm just saying might, uh, uh, a trap in the making because, uh, for example, from the Argentinian experience that we've discussed at length with you uh, in various private conversations, when the Argentinian currency was going, was going down the drain, like we had hyperinflation in 1989 and 1990, and then in 2000, 2001, which was our next crisis, we had a major banking crisis around our currency. Flight to safety for Argentinians was to say, okay, get rid of your pesos and buy dollars, because the U.S. dollar reigned supreme, especially in, two, in, 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 the, in, in the early 90s and in the early uh, 21st century. So flight to safety was leave your pesos and go to dollars. Now, in America, obviously, flight to safety is not dollars, because that, that's the one that's in crisis. Same with mm-hmm. the Europeans. It's not euros. That might even be, uh, we're, we, we might be seeing the first signs of the, the euro mechanism breaking down. So flight to safety naturally will go to gold. Mm-hmm. Now, what we have to be careful is that the powers that be don't hijack gold, because there's a lot of, uh, there are certain signs and there are certain indications that they will try to create 
fiat gold certificates, and a lot of people will be thinking that they are purchasing gold, and they're just purchasing fiat money that is supposed to be gold in a way. Uh-huh. Uh, there yeah. was a very interesting article in the New York Post on this, where, again, Goldman Sachs and HSBC are two of the key banks doing these types of operations. So, in a way, we have to be spe- very specially alert that when we talk about gold today, it has to be the actual gold in your hand or in your pocket. Well, certainly, Adrian, there are those that believe the ETFs that you can buy gold or silver are uh, have that potential to be that, and, and people have examined the prospectuses of those two instruments, uh, of the you know instruments that are ETFs for gold and silver, and they say if you look at it closely, uh, there's no there's no guarantee that the gold is actually there behind that certificate. So I hear what you're saying, and 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 there's no guarantee, as I understand it, that those instruments can't be shorted, that gold couldn't be leased out, just as the central banks have leased out gold. So this is a fascinating topic. I think uh, there's nothing that substitutes for owning gold and silver physically in your own hands. I suppose. Yeah, and, and, and it also ties in in a rather complex way with something that you, another point you were discussing with Danielle, uh, Barrick Gold, for example. Yeah. They are so, so focused on mining gold in the Dominican Republic, in Tanzania, mm-hmm. in Peru, in Argentina, in Chile, where they have devastated entire sectors of, of two of our provinces, one way up north and the other one, San Juan, which is on, on the Andes, because they are mining gold. So we, there obviously is a constant, a, 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 a lot of, incl- uh, uh, of signs that they are actually uh, building up their gold reserves. They are yeah. probably using, thinking of, of, of creating a future global currency where gold will be either partially or totally an integral part. If anything, I think that if you look at what's happening to the dollar and you look at what's happening to the euro, I think that we are seeing in the making the controlled collapse of both the U.S. dollar and the euro for very different reasons to be replaced by a global currency because, I mean, world government will require a global currency. And I wouldn't be surprised if they were to say it's going to be a gold-backed currency, mm-hmm. but they're going At to least condition it so much that it's really going to be basically fiat money with gold certificates. But they're just going to play around the way they played around with the fiat dollar ever since Nixon got, got us off the uh, gold standard. Okay, so that it might not really be a gold standard, but just something that looks like it. Well, yeah, you know, I mean, for, they are so good at this. They are so good at, at creating uh, uh, false reality that they might just say, you know, it, it, it's as good as gold. And if they convince people through psychological warfare and psychological action that it is just as good as having gold, well, people will do so. You know, it's like the gold in Fort Knox that a lot of people are wondering, is it really there? Was it ever really there to begin with? Yeah. Well, at, at one time during the Eisenhower administration, gold was actually uh, audited. That's the last time it was audited. So... I mean, it's certainly if uh, those people who have uh, paid attention to what the gold antitrust action people have been saying, they provided lots and lots of reason to doubt the, uh, what the government claims to be true. Adrian, uh, you know, it, it certainly is something that I've thought of that, that uh, in fact, um, uh, they could be, you know, certainly the, the ruling elite could certainly be uh, hoarding gold themselves, planning for that future at the very time they're telling people not to. Look, uh, it was... Um, uh, one of the big tycoons uh, recently uh, that was sell- telling people that we had a gold bubble, and yet he was going out and buying tremendous amounts of gold. Um, I would, would like to switch gears just a little bit and get into the Argentinian um, experience that you had. You mentioned 2000, 2001, when the banking crisis occurred. I'd like to just, uh, could you just, for our listeners, tell them, just review that and what happened there. As I recall, your currency was fixed to the dollar, and it was making it very difficult to export. 
And so you started having a drain of, uh, of, of hard currency, so-called hard currency dollars, and then you had difficulty paying your debts. Is that what happened there? If you could just refresh my memory and, and our listeners as well. Yes, it was a major breakdown caused by an unbearable and unpayable public debt where the government, which was really basically a caretaker government, did everything uh, ridiculously possible to pay. In other words, they followed all the IMF measures and, and recipes and suggestions and plans and so forth, and they completely collapsed the currency, and they saved all the banks so that there would be no drain on the banks by by freezing all bank deposits, both in pesos and in dollars. Half of our deposits at that time were in dollars. Nobody ever got their dollars back except for the bankers. <clears throat> and what it did is it limited the amount of cash anybody could put out of the bank. Consider that at that time only half the population even had access to banks. So there was pre- the economy practically grinded to a ground to a halt. Uh, our GDP fell 40%. People really didn't have uh, the necessary cash, the necessary money to buy the most essential things. You'll all remember because it's, uh, it looks almost identical to what we're seeing in Greece. People took to the streets. They started mm-hmm. banking on, on the bank uh, doors and the bank windows, and there was rioting. There were quite a number of deaths, unfortunately. Uh, and as, 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 hap- as it's happening in, in, in Greece, not one bank fell. However, 50% of our population in 2002 and 2003, especially in those crisis years, fell below the poverty line, and they never came back up again. And this is in a country, Argentina, which traditionally prides itself for having a very strong middle class. Now, the only, that, that, that was definitely the very, very bad part. It was traumatic. The good part is that it has increasingly taught our people how to fend for them, how to mend for themselves in times of crises. Mm-hmm. And it's not, it wasn't so much, I mean, there was a lot of every man for himself type thing, especially in the first uh, days when things were violent. But all in all, what it did is brought, uh, it brought a lot of people together mm-hmm. to work in, with uh, on a more solidarity basis in, in their neighborhoods and so forth to make, uh, I don't know, group uh, acquisitions of things when they were available to even set up barter clubs so that people who perhaps, I don't know, had a, lo- a lot of sugar, they could say, okay, I'm going to barter it for haircuts mm-hmm. uh, or whatever. And there were, there, they, that became quite organized, especially on neighborhood basis, on a neighborhood basis, <clears throat> in the poorer neighborhoods most notably, where people would pool in their talents and their products and so forth. And we had sort of a, a parallel economy economy going, and it worked quite well until, well, until things, you know, uh, normalized according to the, to the bankers and the caretaker government, and that, that unfortunately had to make, was made to disappear. That's very interesting, you know. So probably if government just stayed out of it and let the people start to regroup themselves and form their own currency, their own barter system, and probably eventually it would go back to gold or silver because that's the most, you know, as Aristotle understood, it had all of the properties. Gold has all the properties that make it money. It's got durability. It's got divisibility. It's convenient. It's consistent. It has value, intrinsic value. All those reasons Mother Nature provided gold with a, a natural me, uh, barter medium of exchange. Did you see any of that going on uh, in Argentina? Did people use gold or silver as a barter item, store of value that they can go out and buy sugar with or... Yeah, there might have been a little bit of that, but it never actually grew. But, you know, the, the, the gold uh, rationale is really very important because, as you say, it's got thousands of years of trust in, 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 the, in the human psyche. And if anything, you either trust the people who issue your money or, 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 or your, your, your pesos or your dollars, or you trust what you have in your hand. So mm-hmm. increasingly what's happening the world over, whether it be in America, Europe, Greece, Argentina, whatever, is people are no longer trusting the people who issue 
the paper money. So mm-hmm. the only option is to have something that you can hold in your hand and say, hey, this is gold. No matter what crisis comes along, it's still going to be, <clears throat> it's still going to be gold. One of the th- funny things that happened during the Argentinian crisis, and this shows, I think, where, where what's one of the traps at least is as far as the IMF and, and all these, uh, uh, or the overworld is concerned, is since the government did not issue sufficient money, and that was one of the sufficient currency, that was one of the reasons why the whole economy collapsed, each province reverted to issuing its own provincial money. And incredibly, they were able to pay for school teachers, the police, and all the basic necessities. But there was zero inflation. And that really worried the IMF. And as things be- went back to normal, quote-unquote, one of the things that the IMF imposed on the, on the new government in Argentina was to withdraw all those provincial currencies that worked very well, replace them with new pesos, and so that it would not be inflationary. Those new pesos were turned uh, backed by U.S. dollars with a World Bank uh, loan. So we ended up owing $800 million to the World Bank just to retrieve and recover, withdraw those uh, provincial currencies, which worked quite well because they were not, uh, they, they, they were not interest-bearing, and they, they at least saved the, saved the nation from, from even, worse, uh, uh, even a worse situation during those troubling times. Uh, that's, that's fascinating, and I, I hear you say the provinces went back to issuing their own money. There's, a, I, I guess, more symbolic than anything else, but a move in the U.S. Uh, on the part of states to do the same thing. California and a couple of others, yes, indeed, yeah. because, I mean, you know, when, when, when you don't trust the federal government, well, you figure, I might as well trust the provincial government, which is much closer to home. I can see these guys. I can go and talk to them uh, if worse were to come to worse. I mean, you know, one of the important things is that economy in times of trouble is more of a branch of psychology than an exact science, because people, it's people's perceptions, whether they will trust dollars or euros or gold or, I don't know, or Goldman Sachs or GM stock or whether they will go into something totally different. So, and unfortunately, human perception of what has value and stability and what does not is very easy to manipulate by the rating agencies, by the Wall Street Journal, by the, by the mainstream media. So in a way, what they do very often is they always have us running after their carrot according to what their needs are. So we have to be very, very careful how they will manipulate the perception referring to the availability and the true cost of gold or the true value of gold, I should say. You know, Adrian, uh, we've talked a lot about theory, about uh, philosophy, government philosophy, economics, and so forth. Uh, our show is very much about, also about helping people prepare for difficult times. I mean, part of the preparation from a financial perspective is to own gold uh, because that is real money, and we're seeing you know, the, the demolition of, of paper money, essentially, as they keep creating trillions of dollars to bail everybody out. Um, what so what sort of emergency things do you think people needed or uh, as you say i guess to a great extent people just sort of came together as a local people came together neighborhood people came together and certainly something sean broderick who was on our show some time ago he's written an excellent book called the Sur- suburban survivalist talks about how we need to know our neighbors and learn to be friendly with them so that we can help each other out you know we become stronger that way but what uh, what sort of things do you think people can plan for? I, I, we had um, uh, a, a person on this show some time ago who has an excellent organization called All in One Preparedness. People can go there and, and uh, learn more about All in One Preparedness. They have excellent foods that you have a 27-year life. And, you know, I mean, it sounds radical to prepare for, for things like that, but, you know, things do happen. I, I think in America we, we sort of take it for granted that we're not going to have any great crises, or there's the occasional tornado or flood or whatever. 
but we're not going to have a meltdown like Argentina, you know, not in America. But what would you tell people? I mean, what would you tell people from a practical point of view, in addition perhaps to being friendly with your neighbors and learning to work together? you have any other advice? How can people prepare? Yes, I think we have to have clear in our minds various thresholds. For example, <clears throat> if, if a crisis really becomes uh, uh, very severe, in other words, if it's on a national level, well, yes, we'd better be on very good terms and very good co- uh, have a good attitude of coordination with our neighbors because we might even have to uh, defend our own neighborhoods if, if, if worse were to really come to worse. Sure. But before it gets to that, that bad, to that, to that really serious situation, there are a lot of things that people can do in groups and even as individuals. For example, uh, in, in the case of Argentina, on 30th November 2001, the government said nobody can take their money out of the bank and there will be no more dollars for anybody. If I had known that... Three, four, five months before that, I would have taken all my pesos out of the bank. I would have purchased dollars. And when the crisis came along, I would have been okay because I would have said, hey, I've got dollars. And I would have been able to buy everything I needed with no problem. Adrian, we, we have only, of, we, we have only a couple of seconds. With America now, if you have this foresight, get rid of your dollars and buy gold. It's the equivalent. It's the same that, thing. That, that's very interesting. A very quick story. We're just about out of time here, but uh, Claudio Bossi in, our, uh, in my office here is Argentine. He was born there. He's lived here in the U.S. most of his life. But he tells a story about this old farmer in a local small town in Argentina when this crisis took place in 2000, 2001. He never put his dollars in the bank. He put them in a milk can. And when the banks wouldn't let, him, wouldn't, you know, let you only take a certain percentage of your money out, he had 100% of his dollars in the milk can. Very but interesting genius. story. The, the equivalent in America now is don't put your dollars in the bank. Buy Ex- gold and put it in a milk can. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's right. I, I think this is probably a good place to leave it because we are out of time now, Adrian. I want to thank you so much for coming on. It's always a pleasure to have you. Sometime I'd like to have you on and we ask questions. And I think, I think we're going to have you on along with Daniel Estulin. Daniel said he would be glad to have you, uh, you know, the two of you talk together. Maybe we can have people call in and so forth, too. But it's been a pleasure having you on again. Adrian, as always, thank you. Folks, don't go away. We're going to be uh, coming right back at the, uh, on the other side of the break. We're going to be talking to uh, uh, the CEO of Yale Resources. That's Ian Foreman. He's got a very interesting a penny mining company that I think has a great deal of potential, as they like to say in the speculative sector. Uh, this, is, this stock has 10-bagger potential written all over it. Uh, no guarantees, of course, but it is a very interesting story. So come stay with us, and we'll be right back with Ian Foreman. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. American Bonanza Gold's project, located in Arizona, is scheduled for production in 2010. American Bonanza Gold announced the positive results of its recent feasibility study at its 100% owned Copperstone Gold Mine. The mine is estimated to produce an average of 45,000 ounces of gold annually. At the current spot gold price, this will result in an IRR of 120%. Join the gold bull market. Invest in American Bonanza Gold. Visit the website at AmericanBonanza.com for more exciting information. Don't miss this great opportunity. 
Barkerville Gold Mines, BGM on the TSX.V, is focused on the exploration and development of its gold projects in the historic Caribou Gold Fields in British Columbia. Barkerville's mineral tenure now encompasses over 111,000 hectares, covering the 60-kilometer long by 20-kilometer wide geological belt and includes seven past-producing mines and two of Barkerville's own proposed open pit mines, currently in the permitting process. Barkerville recently announced the acquisition of the QR mine and 900-ton-per-day QR mill. Barkerville Gold began mining operations in February of 2010 and is expecting to produce 50,000 ounces in its first full year of mining. Apollo Gold is a gold-producing and exploration company that recently brought the brand-new Black Fox Mine into production. Apollo's 100% owned Black Fox Mine is located in the world-renowned gold-producing district of Timmins, Ontario, Canada. It's expected to produce over 100,000 ounces of gold annually. Apollo Gold also has tremendous potential for additional gold discovery as they continue their current exploration program on their recent new discovery at the Gray Fox property, which is adjacent to the Black Fox Mine, as well as its new land acquisition of Pike River. With gold prices near an all-time high, investors should consider Apollo Gold as an outstanding opportunity to invest in an undervalued junior gold mining company, well positioned to take advantage of a bull gold market. Apollo Gold trades on the New York Stock Exchange under the ticker symbol AGT and on the Toronto Stock Exchange under the ticker symbol APG. Visit Apollo's website at www.apollogold.com. Apollo Gold, a golden opportunity for investment. Have you been acquiring physical gold, silver, and coins? Are you receiving the best price and the best service you can? Why not work with the most recommended precious metals company in the country? Resource Consultants is recommended by over 20 newsletter writers, several websites, and countless stockbrokers and financial planners. Call them now and find out how they can help you. 800-494-4149. Or visit them on the web at www.buysilvernow.com. That's 800-494-4149. They'll be waiting for your call. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm here with Ian Foreman. Ian is the president and CEO of Yale Resources. It's a Canadian junior gold exploration stock with properties in Mexico. It's traded in Toronto under the symbol YLL, 71 million shares outstanding, and today, as I was looking, it's trading at around seven, seven and a half cents. It gives the company a market cap of, a real minuscule market cap of only about $5 million. That's when I like to look at companies uh, when they are really undervalued, and I think this is one, uh, whilst it's an exploration, speculative stock at five, uh, with a $5 million market cap, it has some extraordinary 
uh, targets to, to shoot at and to start exploring and drilling. And so I think there's going to be a lot of exciting news coming out of this company. Uh, I might just mention the pink sheet symbol is YRLLF. YRLLF. Welcome, Ian, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Thank you, Jay. It's great to be back on your show. Great to have you back. Uh, we talked to you some time ago, uh, but just to refresh the memory of people who may not have heard your story before, and we have had a lot of new listeners on this show since we last talked, can you give them just a brief overview of your company? What are your, you know, where you're looking for gold and, and what kind of progress, gold and silver, I guess, you're looking for, and what kind of progress uh, have you made since we last spoke? Sure. Uh, Yale Resources is focused solely in Mexico. Uh, we primarily are targeting uh, gold, gold, silver, but we also have a couple of base metal projects. We are uh, adopting the project generator business model, which allows us to then uh, find partners, some value-added partners, to, to come in, uh, earn a percentage uh, interest in our projects by uh, meeting uh, targeted uh, expenditures, payments, share issuance, etc., and uh, we currently have seven projects in Mexico, of which three projects are optioned out. Okay. So you have uh, those three optioned out properties. Uh, then you have other companies spending their money to come in and develop those projects. Absolutely. And, and we think that this is um, a, 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 it's a bus- it's this business model that has historically been the most successful uh, through both good and bad times in our industry. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the key aspects is, is we feel that it, it creates a real benefit for our shareholders as it reduces uh, real elements of risk that are inherent to the industry uh, that are then directly to, to our investors. Those are actually uh, borne by, by our partners. Uh, as these partners come in and they essentially are doing the heavy lifting for us, and uh, then by us receiving payments uh, in cash and at times uh, issuances and shares, we then uh, get to also benefit in the upside of future success that our partners are going to have. And there are also um, avenues for essentially non-dilutive financing for the company. Yes, indeed. In fact, I was just uh, talking to Rick Rule a few days ago, and Rick told me that that the uh, project generator model or prospect generator model, whatever you want to call it, has been far and away the best investments he's made in, in the resource sector. He's done extremely well with those, not nearly as well, by you know investing in companies that have to do their own funding. So you enjoy the upside when you have a success without constantly going back to the market and diluting shareholder, shareholder uh, interest. And that's I think that's the power of this. But let me ask you then, you have... Uh, recent, in the, recently, I've seen some news uh, with your joint venture partner, Silver America. You recently signed an agreement. Could you tell our listeners about that agreement with Silver America? And I think you also had some pretty darn good assays coming out of that property. I think it's called the Guadalupe, is it? That's correct, Jay. And, and uh, this is also, uh, I, will, I will answer your question with regard to Guadalupe in, in, a, in a heartbeat, but this is also one of the aspects of the project generator model is, is that when, when you have multiple partners firing on, on all cylinders and we're working on our own projects, we're, we're, we have the capacity to generate a lot of news. So we've generated some really good news on Guadalupe, but we've also generated a lot of good news on a, a new project we brought in called uh, Los Amoles. So um, back, to, back to Guadalupe, uh, 
Guadalupe is in elephant country. It's nine kilometers from um, the Fresnillo mine, which is the richest underground silver mine, not, o- not only just in Mexico, but on the planet, and is 11 kilometers from Mag Silver and Fresnillo's Juan Escipio joint venture, in which I'm sure your, your listeners have, have, are familiar with some of the bonanza mm-hmm. grades that have come out of uh, those projects. And both of those projects go down to eight, 900 meters, wow. and we're sampling on surface. Mm-hmm. So we're getting the results I'm telling you on surface, which mm-hmm. bodes well for the mineralizing system. But we were, we were able to uh, sample uh, a gram of gold and 947 grams silver over 1.1 meters. Mm-hmm. And uh, the significance of that is, is that's just the material that we are able to access through the workings and little holes in the ground and, and the pits and adits that are uh, on, on surface. So elsewhere, sometimes you have to sample the, the mineralized dumps that are next door to workings because when there's a shaft that's 100 meters deep, you don't have access to the actual uh, workings. You have to sample the material that got left behind. And so from that aspect, in the southern part of the property, a, a highlight sample was 5.35 grams per ton gold and 1,189 grams per ton silver from, from a dump next to a working that we know is 270 meters deep. So we do get... Uh, some some really strong indication that, that the mineralizing system on this property is very strong. All right. For, I might just remind uh, listeners who might not be familiar with the metric system that in, if they want to convert to grams, they should divide by 31.1. So you're talking about, in some cases, you're over 300 grams. You're talking about you know, 10 ounces of silver or, or 1,000 grams. That's right. And, and so when we're at 1,000 grams, you're... you're, mm-hmm. you're you know, you're, you you're looking at that by very, three again. Some very valuable rock here. Uh, so, okay, so that's the Guadalupe, and I, as I understand it, the um, American uh, silver, Silver America, can earn ninety percent, but they have to spend a lot of money, and they're giving, they're putting money in your coffers as well. Is that right? And that's the reason why we structured it as such. They have to actually pay Yale Resources cash. $900,000 in payments every six months over the, the earn-in time of four years. They need to spend $2 million on expiration, of which uh, we've capped uh, the first uh, just over a year until June of next year at $400,000, including 2,000 meters of drilling. We think it's really important that our partners drill. And uh, then after that, we would then maintain a 10% uh participating interest, as well as a 2% NSR. Okay, you've recently had some really good news on another property that you, I think at this point in time, still have 100% interest and do not have a joint venture partner, unless I'm mistaken on that. Is it the uh, Los Amolos or... Yeah, Amoles, actually. Amoles, uh-huh. And, and Los Amoles is, a, is an early-stage project that we picked up um, as, a, as, a, as a share issuance. Therefore, again, we want to we be sa- saving cash. Um, and we have identified a, a target in the southeastern uh, corner of the, the project that measures about 1.2 by 1.5 kilometers, multiple veins, uh, 25-odd historic workings, and again, we were sampling uh, various vein exposures and these mineralized dumps, and uh, 
again, strong indications, multiple samples um, above 300 grams or, or uh, in the 9 to 10 ounce silver range. Very promising. Uh, so those are two of your properties. You mentioned you have seven of them, I think you said. You have some other uh, joint venture partners that are earning, spending their money, earning in. Uh, are we ex- you expecting to come out with a lot of news? Is there a lot of stuff going on, a lot of drilling and exploration going on, and will there be a steady flow of news for, for people to keep up with? Absolutely, and and uh, that's one of the things that really uh, I find very exciting is the amount of work that we're doing, and and some of the we're having to expand in Mexico. Our staff we act as operator on our uh, three uh, agreements, so uh, I have to have our staff working on on that front. We anticipate that in the next twelve months we're going to have um, where we're programming um, two or three of our projects to receive uh, drilling. Uh, there's going to be uh, geophysics probably starting on one of our projects shortly, and obviously uh, we want to be increasing the potential or perceived value in our 100% owned projects. So we're working on on that front as well. We've just had a, a company. Uh, sorry, we've just had our geologist return from the Los Amoles project, so there'll be news on that front shortly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we've signed a number of uh, confidentiality agreements with a, some juniors, and we've talked to a couple of producers with regards to our projects. So with luck, I mean, there's no guarantees, but with luck, we'll we'll have a uh, uh, one or more of our, our other projects optioned out in, in the next uh, one to two months. Well, it really sounds interesting. Now, what I what I think is the fact that you're selling at seven and a half cents with all of these things going on, uh, it, it definitely has uh, has uh, perked up my interest. I can say that for sure, and uh, we'll uh, certainly keep this in mind for our newsletter, uh, my newsletter called J Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. But the listeners here might want to really check out and keep up with with what Ian is talking about here. Uh, Ian, could you tell them what your website is so they can go and, and keep up with your developments? Our, our website is www.yaleresources.com, and we are in the process of completely reinventing our website. So before the end of uh, June this year, sorry, before the end of May this year, we're going to have our, our revamped website up and running, and I think our shareholders will really appreciate the ease at which they'll be able to get all the information they need. Thank you, uh, Ian. But before I let you go, just one more question comes to mind quickly. Are you okay now uh, funding-wise? Are you going to have to raise some more capital? I hope not at this price. Uh, What what is the issue there? Are you able to pretty much go with the money that's being brought in by your new joint venture partners, or are you going to have to raise more capital? Well, as much as as the the high potential for our shareholders is at this price, the the big risk we have is if we need to finance, and then uh-huh. these levels, it's very dilutive. Yeah. We have no, we don't anticipate that we'll be doing any financing in the short term, as we are sufficiently funded for the next four to eight months of work, and we have payments coming in from our partners. So mm-hmm. in the short term, we are fine financially, and that allows us to operate, keep the lights on, as well as do work on our 100% owned projects. Are we expecting, uh, can we expect to see some drill results sometime soon, Ian? Again, we're anticipating that we're going to have uh, at least two of our projects drilled in the next 12 months. Uh-huh. And so uh, I would say um, stay tuned to this space, and, and uh, as soon as we have the news, we'll be putting it out. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much, Ian. 
for that update. It really is an exciting story, folks. You might want to check this one out. Uh, again, thanks, and we'll look to talk to you sometime in the near future. Folks, don't go away because I'm going to be right back with Dr. Robert McHugh. He's going to give his latest views on the market, on this very, very volatile market. I think you don't want to miss Robert McHugh's views, so don't go away. We'll be right back. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790, 866-472-5790, Voice America Business Network. Apollo Gold is a gold-producing and exploration company that recently brought the brand-new Black Fox Mine into production. Apollo's 100% owned Black Fox Mine is located in the world-renowned gold-producing district of Timmins, Ontario, Canada. It's expected to produce over 100,000 ounces of gold annually. Apollo Gold also has tremendous potential for additional gold discovery as they continue their current exploration program on their recent new discovery at the Gray Fox property, which is adjacent to the Black Fox Mine, as well as its new land acquisition of Pike River. With gold prices near an all-time high, investors should consider Apollo Gold as an outstanding opportunity to invest in an undervalued junior gold mining company, well-positioned to take advantage of a bull gold market. Apollo Gold trades on the New York Stock Exchange under the ticker symbol AGT and on the Toronto Stock Exchange under the ticker symbol APG. Visit Apollo's website at www.apollogold.com. Apollo Gold, a golden opportunity for investment. Have you been acquiring physical gold, silver, and coins? Are you receiving the best price and the best service you can? Why not work with the most recommended precious metals company in the country? Resource Consultants is recommended by over 20 newsletter writers, several websites, and countless stockbrokers and financial planners. Call them now and find out how they can help you. 800-494-4149. Or visit them on the web at www.buysilvernow.com. That's 800-494-4149. They'll be waiting for your call. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try to You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have Dr. Robert McHugh here with us again. Dr. McHugh has been with us on several occasions. He is the editor of an excellent newsletter. Nobody works harder. Nobody provides more information on a daily basis uh, no other technical analyst that I know of uh, provides more information, more thorough information, and gives conscientious effort to uh, to telling people uh, where he thinks the markets are going based on 
really objective decisions, really objective information uh, as much as is humanly possible. Uh, you can go to technicalindicatorindex.com, technicalindicatorindex.com to learn more about Dr. McHugh's work. We don't have much time, so I want to get right into it. Thank you, Dr. McHugh, for coming on Turning Hard Times into Good Times again. Hi, Jay. How are you? Well, I'm really terrific. Uh, we, we see the markets are weak again today, so I want to cut right to the chase and ask you, from an Elliott Wave perspective, where do you think we're at now in the big picture? Well, the, the uh, grand super cycle wave for uh, bear markets started uh, either at uh, the October 2007 top. Some people label it starting back in 2000. Um, but any way you label it, we're finishing uh, a wave B, and we are set up for the start of a uh, very uh, dramatic uh, decline, a wave C down. Um, this should be the most uh, painful uh, part of the bear market. And uh, it's, it's, a, it's a large, long-term process of, of topping. Um, you know, the last several months, uh, we've seen the markets slowly rolling over, but the internals are weakening. Uh, we have a lot of indicators that have been on buy throughout this entire bull market from uh, uh, secondary bull market from last March uh, of 2009 that now just turned to sells. So it looks like uh, we're headed for some trouble here, and we're very, very concerned. And if I was if I was long this market right now, I would be very cautious, and I would be taking the necessary steps to protect uh, what I have out there. Well, certainly consistent with what uh, Richard Russell was telling his subscribers uh, yesterday, or, or very recently anyway. I just caught a piece of it today. He's telling people in no uncertain times, get out. And he, he hasn't seen his Dow theory give him uh, an absolute on that yet, but he's absolutely he's he's as a veteran observer of the markets. You know, thinks this thing is really um, is really very 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 vulnerable. Uh, so you talked in the past about this the possibility of a there's a couple of different scenarios. One, the worst case scenario was you know what you um, you know you, you've termed it the cataclysmic nation changing event. Uh, to, as I recall, at one time to correct the bull market that started in 1718 or something like that. But you're holding out the possibility of something a lot less severe than that taking place. What are the probabilities of two or the two or three different scenarios that you're that you're looking at constantly? Well, if we're doing uh, if there's a massive sideways triangle being developed, um, then that would be a pretty good scenario for markets. Meaning, we've seen the lows, but it could be a prolonged sideways uh, up and down uh, uh, slowdown. For several more years, the problem with that scenario right now is uh, we needed to see the Dow hit 12,000 for that to be a viable option, and it failed. It is uh, it topped in the low 11,000 area, so right now that is not uh, the, uh, my top prior uh, top uh, scenario. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a cataclysmic zigzag scenario and a flat scenario that are still on the board with mm-hmm. higher probabilities, and both of them call for major declines. Uh, it's, we don't want to hear this, but it is what it is, uh, Robert. And I think it's always better for people to be aware of reality than to listen to the to the policymakers' propaganda machine that, that seems to be telling us to keep on spending, keep on behaving in the same irrational uh, uh, way that we have been in the past. Um, gold, though, is a different story, though. You're very bullish on gold still, right? Yeah, I mean, slowly gold is becoming the world's actual reserve currency, and then that's, it's being done in a stealth fashion. But, uh, you know, gold is going to be uh, the real monetary base uh, as all currencies. They're just 
all the sovereign nations are just printing uh, their own fiat currencies uh, in such quantities and just throwing them at economies that uh, that they're debasing their currencies and in, in relationship to gold, gold just has to go much higher. And as this economy, the economies, the world economies get worse because uh, this is a global phenomenon. All the uh, all the nations that we follow, the major markets, they're all showing major bearish patterns as well as the United States. Uh, they're just going to throw more fiat currency at it. They're just going to print more cash and uh, in their own currencies, and that means that's just push for gold. Well, I think you're right about that, Robert. Thank you very much for coming on uh, our show again. We'll have to have you on again sometime soon to keep up to date with you. I, I really appreciate your work and your honesty. Thanks for coming on. Folks, that's all the time we have this week. I want to thank you again for listening. I want to thank our the staff at Voice America for making this show logistically possible, starting starting with my senior executive producer, Tacey Trump, Ruben Colombe, my operations manager, and Justin Jackman, my engineer. Next week, we're going to have Jeff Deist. He is Ron Paul's chief of staff. He'll be with us. We're also probably going to have Ian Gordon uh, and maybe an inflationist to have a little debate with Ian. That's what I'm working on anyway. So come back next week and listen to what we have to say. Thanks again uh, to all of you for listening. And until next week, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now the thing about time is that time isn't really real.